Welcome to Across the Pond Wargamers, a podcast dedicated to the wargaming hobby. All good? Okay. Well, fantastic. Well, good evening, folks, and welcome to episode 22 of Across the Pond Wargamers. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about naval wargaming, getting our feet wet. Uh, so with that, I want to introduce, start off by introducing our, our guest. And the one thing I just realized I forgot to ask our guest before we started was how to properly pronounce his last name. So with that, I'm going to pronounce John, uh, I'm going to introduce John Yangling. And John, tell me if I got it right or wrong. Perfect. Great. Well, perfect. John, welcome to the show. And Thank you. Please, as all our guests, we are going to get you, hit you right off with, we want to know your bio and, and wargaming. Tell us how you got here. Uh, I'm of that age category that started out with the Airfix uh, miniatures. Uh, grew up in a blue-collar steel town here in, outside of Philadelphia. So we had a hobby shop. We had uh, a shop that sold model rockets and, and, you know, hunting knives and all those other, you know, boy things that we all got into. But uh, I kind of gravitated, you know, taking all my spending money. And I don't even want to think how many thousands of little eggs got into some role playing, you know, the Airfix men, you know, it's like, you know, like risk. If you roll a six, it's dead kind of routine. And then um, as a teenager, and I found this game called combat commander back from the 70s mm -hmm. and i bought another copy of it because i went oh wow i i really want to remember you know how i use this well this was my first example of rewriting rules because this is 1970s writing where there would be six different modifiers for just shooting smoke uh on a target uh, I don't remember as a as a young teenager. I I know I didn't use all the rules, um, but did some miniatures. Did a lot of the board games. Uh, was a big fan of uh, SPI. Um, through high school, did some role playing games. Uh, joined the military, um, and found uh, at my first duty station uh, a hobby shop called Campaign Headquarters in Norfolk, uh, of which uh, I would take my uh, hard-earned money and spend it on games and beer, and then I would waste the rest of it. Um, so that's where I had, you know, was was really introduced really to the miniature side of it in, in, in greater detail, where people were, you know, building the tanks, painting the tanks, and all of that. Um, Serving on a an attack submarine, there is not a lot of room on there. So, occasionally we would go on deployment, and I would, you know, buy. I would read through the rules ad nauseum. Um, and then, uh, you know, you know, never really getting a chance to uh, try them out. Until John, I, John, can I interrupt for a second? You just yeah. said uh, on deployment because we had a bit of a glitch there. You just said when you went on deployment, you bought which? Bought what? I would buy uh, a couple of strategy and uh, S and T magazine games, right? Okay. And take them with me. Um, there was no room to play, but you know that was uh, 
you know, at least some reading material. Um, as I uh, advanced through the ranks, I had a little bit more space on a submarine. And bizarrely enough, I had a tackle box with some naval miniatures. And um, on off hours, I would, you know, work on them or build them and go through that. Um, it was one of those things that most of the crew was like, he's really good at his job, but this is this is even weird for submariners. <laughs> uh, left the service, um, went into, you know, into business afterwards, um, got bit by the miniatures bug again, found two fat lardies and their rule systems. Um, and now I have uh, uh, way too many miniatures. You know, someday, you know, I may find the end of the lead pile. Um but that takes me uh, up to today. Well, if they ever find the end of the lead pile, that's time to throw dirt on you. Uh, I've, I've been told that. <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, but, you know, you talk about deployment, undeployment. Um, I can only usually bring with me what fit in a pair of uh, cargo pockets on, your, on our uh, utilities. So for me, it was flying buffaloes, nuclear war. That went everywhere. So we, we, we had played that in Norfolk at the hobby shop and it was also both a Navy base and a municipal base, uh, municipal piers. Right. And we had a group of Eastern Europeans that came walking through the hobby shop, watching Americans all in crew cuts playing a game called nuclear war. And they looked at what we were doing and looked at us and went, I no, these are, these are not people you want to mess with. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know we uh, caused a bit of a stir because we were in a uh, uh, down in Latin America, sitting on a tarmac, waiting for a uh, flight, and we're all laying there. You know, had our gear all spread out, and some AP reporter comes through and watches and hears a bunch of Marines in Latin America in the seventies playing nuclear war, and they're needless to say, it was not. Uh, what the publicity, the PR officers, you know, the public affairs officers would like, but we had fun. But anyway, that's why they make the big bucks. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we kind of went through the ranks there. Um, so with that, um, yeah, and it's funny we talk about certain age. There's usually two cutoffs. There's the folks who start with Games Workshop, or the start folks who start with Airfix, and they're usually around the similar age. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Colin is the one exception to that because you would you what was your first historical game, Colin? Do you remember? Uh, actual throwing dice on the table, historical yeah. game. Um, yeah, I just remember it was some Napoleonic game. Yeah, I think we we're doing it in fifteen millimeter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Colin, yeah, we got him started right. Um, all right. Well, moving on then, and and again, welcome, John. Glad to have you. Thank on you. The show. Good to be here. Um, we're uh, kind of been activities we've been working on. I have to, I'll start off, you know, usually talk about it at this point. Uh, my activities have been nothing more than trying to get settled in in our new house. Uh, we have a list of projects that's so long, it's not even funny. And I still, every time I go out in the garage and I see nothing but boxes and boxes stacked to the ceiling uh, of a three car garage, two of them, two of the bays are filled with just my wargaming stuff packed up. So, I got a little bit before I get to that. Um, but other than that, uh, been reading some rule sets, uh, still 
planning on and plotting on Leipzig. And we've also started to plan out some of the World War II Pacific Island and, and kind of plotting out my uh, Napoleonic and World War II naval stuff coming up for some games there. So, Colin, how are you doing on your paint? I know you've been painting some very interesting Napoleonic figures. So, yeah, um, I'm making definitely some headway on these 1808, 1809 Swedish and Finnish forces. Um, yeah, they're, they're actually pretty neat looking because half of them are gray, half of them are blue, half of them are blue and white, blue and yellow. It's, and like one color, color combination is blue, white, yellow trim, and um, red collars. So it's, it's pretty hideous looking, but it's pretty cool. Um, are, are these in 15 or 28s? Uh, 15. Uh, Ooh, that's, that's yeah. even more impressive. Um, but no, um, my current project is looking for a 1-100 scale O-class destroyer. So I, I haven't found it yet, but I'm, I'm definitely looking for it. That way I can do the uh, Operation Archery, where the Royal Marine Commandos and some Norwegian forces went up into Norway. And they went and raided a small, um, it was a cod oil plant, and they just raided it. And these two British destroyers were just went along the coast and started peppering these German positions with the, uh, the support of, I think it was the HMS Kenya. Okay. Uh, light, small, fast action, and I'd love to game it, especially because it gets Mike Baker in the, in the fight too. So there you go. You need to ask probably a 3D printing job right there. I'm, I'm so. looking for the model so I can put it together, just like the old days, where yeah. you buy the model, you put it together, and um, paint it up. Yeah. yeah, it's just the one one hundredth scale. That's. <laughs> That's a tad bit odd for uh, model kits. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's quite large for a destroyer, but I want to put it on the table. No. Well, we still got a uh, 172nd scale uh, flower class that I haven't built yet that's still in the box. It's sitting out there. So that's huge. That's in 15 years? More than that. We got that before we moved to Germany, before we moved to. Uh, England? No, we got it in. We got it in England. So it would have been twenty years, okay. at least twenty years. So need to say I have a very old lead pile. Yes. What about you, John? What have you been working on? Um, I've got three projects. One of which we'll cover when we get to the naval side. The other two are really a little bizarre. Um, many years ago, a good a good gaming friend of mine who was couldn't paint anymore was having trouble. Uh, we went for lunch, and he hands me this box of old glory fifteen millimeter Civil War miniatures. And I opened it up, and I look, and I went, "What's this?" And he says, "Well, when you get a chance, could you paint these?" It's like. So I haven't done Civil War more. This is one when you get around to it. So long story short, um, I, uh, I we unfortunately lost him um, during COVID. 
And I found this box uh, a couple months ago and was looking at it. And it was a case of, I need to do something with this. So I've been going through parceling out some for people to paint, some I'm trying to paint. And we're going to do a memorial game this Christmas uh, with some guys at the club. Uh, The other one, which is also bizarre, was uh, another good friend of mine. He's proceeding to move and he he says, oh, hey, I've got, you know, I'm going through my games before I sell them. Why don't you come over and take a look if there's anything you want? And I knew he had a copy of uh, Iron Bottom um, Iron Bottom Sound 3, which I never got. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go over and pick that up. And he goes, oh, yeah, I've got my – you do 15 mil. And I went, yeah. And he goes, well, I've got some of my 15 mil Flames of War stuff. Would you be interested? And from the top of the steps, his wife calls down – just take it. <laughs> so he shows me, and I, and I looked at the terrain that was in the box. And I says, yeah, I'll be more than happy to. So I pick up a box of terrain and, and two very small boxes of miniatures. And he goes, no, 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 no. It's not just this. It's all of this. It took me three days of unpacking it when I got home. We're talking in excess of 230 tanks. Um. Soviet and Germans for the Eastern Front. And his only caveat was just give it to a good home. Just make sure. So I've been reaching out to like friends that have children that are mm-hmm. like young sons that are, it's like, you know, you're doing 15 mil with them. I go, yeah. I says, how would you like, you know, tell me which size you want and I'll send it to you. And they're going, well, what do you want for it? And I want nothing. I just want these need to go to a good home, mostly because um, in this collection, I now have three German Brumbars which is the German assault. That's 1% of all the Brumbars ever built. I don't need three, you know. Um, And his was the typical World War II collection. So it was lots of King Tigers, lots of Tigers, a few Panthers, you know, quite a few Mark IVs. But it's like, you really don't need more than one King Tiger on the battlefield. (laughs) Right. Well, it's Flames of War. You know, that's... Well... I, I I love the miniatures. I don't play that game. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a big fan of that uh, of that. I don't want to disparage anything um, on this podcast. I will say though, uh, Flames of War is not my cup of tea. Then, at all. Then, then please, if you can, that that was wrong <laughs> of me to say. Please take that out. No, no, you could say you're not a fan. That's all. That's not okay. nothing wrong with that because you're not okay. a fan. Uh, and people can play it all they want. I just, sorry. I will say I have tried Flames of War in keeping all the same scales, but trying it in one 285th scale. Yes, I've heard good things about that. And it actually works well. So the rules aren't the problem. It's the scale that's the problem in that. So I thought that was an interesting uh, piece there. So, and I shouldn't say that problem. In my humble opinion, that's the problem, but they uh, they work well there. Yes. Yeah, calling fifteen millimeter the wrong scale is kind of beef with me. No, 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 no. Now, see, with the right rules, they're good because fifteen. Because what is it? Um, no, what is it? Chain of commanders. I ain't been shot, mom. Chain of chain of command are both it, written to fit fifteen millimeter scale, right? For um, ranges. I ain't been shot, mom. Is great in six mil. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. So, 
um, but no, it's he 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 bought the Flames of War. I don't necessarily know he ever played Flames of War. Um, looking at the you know at his tra- at what he's done, um, but no, they're they're going to be utilized now for uh, what a tanker and chain of command and and and, and if someone wants uh, to play, you know, if any of my friends, you know. Is looking for these forces and they want to play um flames of war um you know the the, the forces are already uh, uh based right. for it, so well they, they, i tell you what they're they're great models they yes. really did a nice job on their models very nice and and they're also they they, they gave a new impetus within the hobby for 15 millimeter um but you notice that, that they, they have for 15 millimeter, but they've also, you know, World War II Wargaming has been popular, but they got Warhammer 40K players into yes. the hobby. And it's the same thing. And I got I to gotta commend Battlefront and Warlord Games both yes. for doing that very well, getting people that were in the, you know, buy a box set genres of Warhammer and getting them into the historical piece there. And I think that's I, I got to commend both companies for that. And and the rules, it was a very easy matriculation from Warhammer to Bold Action or right, you know, Flames of War. Right. Um, so not like you know, Combat Command or Tractics, if you've ever tried that one. Yes, like that, I, which, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tractics were my first set. All right. Um, Things that have been out there that are new, and I've got to say, is I, I mentioned it on the last podcast um, we did, uh, but the pod, it was a quiz podcast, so we weren't really talking about new things coming out. But I got my copy of Pony Wars finally, and oh, I should say, and I don't mean finally as in disparaging how long it took because it was going to take a long time. We knew that, but it's been very highly anticipated and very interesting. And I got to say, the publishing quality of it, the, the way it's pieced together really top-notch in my opinion um i'm very pleased with i gotta get some figures on the table and and see how it plays out you know if it plays the way i remember it from when i was you know visited england in the in the 70s and or or, or, excuse me early 80s um and played a game um but it's just a night it looks really good and i've got a copy of old group finally um, okay which are relatively new ron ricewitz press um the two fat lardies folks, um, kind of a battalion level, which looks pretty interesting. I've got to say, I'm, I'm uh, pleased with. It. I think it's gonna. It, it could be a possible. You know, I like battle group rules for Lard and fistful of toes mm-hmm. for some of the larger organization structure. But I think I want to give this whole group a try to see how that looks for island, uh, some of the island fights and such. I don't know. What do you do? Have you had a chance to look it over yet, Colin? Uh, no, I haven't. I've been uh, trying to focus too much on painting when I can. Keep painting. Keep painting. One of us has got to paint. So. <laughs> I'll read the rules like when the game's in front of me and we're all moving things around so that way I can slow everybody down and be that guy. Be that guy. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> what about you, John? Have you tried uh, O-Group or any of those yet? Or what have you seen that's out there that's new? I, I have tried O-Group and I really like it. Yeah. And a friend of mine and I we're, we we got done playing it, and he says, "What do you think?" I says, "I think this is perfect for uh, you know for uh, 
But if you want to do like three or six millimeter, it's perfect. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I am a, uh, I use 28 millimeter for my skirmish games and six millimeter for my large games. Okay. So, I mean, if you look at my collection, I've got thousands of Bacchus and thousands of GHQ, uh, depending on which period you're playing. So just, those are my, my two go-to six millimeter companies. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as far as using Ogre for the Pacific, uh, one of the first over uh, beer and burgers afterwards was, you know, can we take all of my notes from a game I had worked on on Tarawa and can we convert it to O-Group? And it's like, well, yes, we can. Uh, but how big do we need to build the island? <laughs> well, we, what did we figure that out to be, Colin, in six millimeter? Uh, 24 feet by 12 feet, something like that? Eight yeah. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So we, could we, we were talking about Tarawa. Yes. Uh, I want to try the, the Make an Island raids. Oh, that would be good. And see how that would play out. It's a small battle. But and at a very tight area, but it could be very interesting to see how it plays out. You'll need a couple submarines, though. <laughs> subs are good. I got six millimeter subs. Perfect. No, no worries there. That's fine. Uh, and that you know what? We should probably use that six millimeter subs as a segue into our topic perfect. about right. naval wargaming, because my six millimeter subs are for cruel seas. Uh, which just came, you know, which have come out. And this is one of the things, you know, we, we wanted to talk about is uh, on the show is Naval Wargaming because all of us share an interest in Naval Wargaming on the podcast today. Um, and I think that uh, it's, we are seeing a resurgence in Naval Wargaming thanks to primarily Warlord Games. We have to, I have to give them a nod again. Um, they have, a, they've, re, they've uh, resurrected Victory at Sea from, you know, used to be, I guess it was Mongoose Press originally. Um, it's now big, you know, they've re resurrected that. They've come out with Black Seas, which is mm-hmm. actually a pretty good game on its own. Uh, and then Cruel Seas, which has fantastic figures, fantastic ships. Um, and the rules are a bit gamey until you start to make some modifications to them. And once you can make some modifications so they feel, in my opinion, again, just my opinion, um, you get a really fun game out of them. And so all of a sudden, I'm seeing people who have never thought about Naval Wargaming getting back into it, thinking it's it's fun. So, John, with that, how do you, I mean, what is your thoughts on that? Have you seen the same thing on, on the East Coast? Uh, absolutely. Um, when uh, War Games Illustrated did an issue that came with a free model sprue. Right. Uh, everyone at at the club was like, "What do we do with this?" And it's like, "Well, you know, you know this this is a novel concept. Uh, why don't we buy a, you know a box of uh, for the rules for Cruel Seas and see what the rules are like?" Um, and the, the models. Uh, are beautiful, right? You know, all of them. Um, e- even going down to the 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 roughest looking, you know, Japanese uh, transport that's in the entire system. Um, it, they're all beautiful models. Um, 
the Uh, they're extremely bloody if you're not uh, paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's it's a really, really good game for people to get interested in naval combat. Um, the same can be say, said for Black Sea uh, and Victory at Sea. Uh, you know, really good introductory, introductory games. Right. Um, and what's also nice is the same way that Flames of War helped produce a whole line of World War II miniatures and vehicles for other game systems uh, as well. Um, Cruel Seas has really uh, kickstarted, and I don't mean it from that <laughs> right. that expression, but it kickstarted the entire maritime miniature um uh, uh, industry-ish, uh, whether we're talking other physical manufacturers or we're talking 3D printing. Right. Um, because just, you know, just like, uh, Colin, you're looking for that particular destroyer that you can't find in the, in the size you're looking for. Um, you know, I may want to do Cruel Seas, but I need a Moy-class destroyer which even the Japanese gave up on using and gave it to the uh, Manchukuo Navy, but it's bizarre enough that I want it. Uh, is Warlord going to make it? Probably not. STL files are easy, <laughs> and um, and you can reach out to people to uh, to do that. So it's it's really you know taken a part of the hobby that I've always loved, um, and has brought it more mainstream within the community right right yeah it has and i think it's one of the things that it on the table um it does look good still and you don't need a lot of terrain you don't need a lot of you know terrain helps surprisingly enough uh for some of the games but you don't need a lot and then you know terrain helps me win games when i play against colin because uh, colin can't steer yeah. How many times you run aground, Colin? Just a handful. Just a handful. We did a, uh, we did, uh, when the pandemic was going full tilt, we did a couple of calls using the portal where we set up the portal okay. um, to, to view the table and we ran some games. So we ran the same game twice, just with the same scenario, same objectives, everything. We just switched sides. Um, and both times, Colin ran aground. Uh, so, well, okay. let's. For uh, context, the first time the uh, the island that I ran around on wasn't even on screen. So, well, <laughs> yeah, we, we needed to fart and pull the portal out a little bit so you could see the bar of the table. But okay, so but anyway, so we're seeing a lot of that type of thing. But if you look at, I mean, I, I'm curious to see how it has impacted these games that have come out. Have they impacted people like uh, GHQ or Langton for their age of sale or, or, um, Panzer Schiff. Um, cause you know, they did, they have chosen some odd scales for some of their, their game, their ships. They, they, they have, um, the 100, one 600 scale kind of falls into, um, the fast attack boat scale right. somewhere between 600 and 750. Right. Um, and there are 
manufacturers um, that are doing that. Um, and um, as far as is that kickstarting uh, or moving ahead with GHQ, um, I haven't seen anything to show that. Um, they have their own production schedules and, um, I mean, it, I mean, I would put GHQ as one of the best uh, manufacturers for one twenty four hundred ships, you know, or not. Um, And, you know, so, you know, they're not, I won't say that they're following the cruel seas, uh, bandwagon, but I also, uh, they haven't uh, slowed down any. No, and I, I, I'm kind of curious as why they chose the scale they did for Victory at Sea other than a marketing piece to ensure that you're buying their ships for their game um, when you talk to Warlord game. Because Victory at Sea is, uh, what scale do they go with there? One, oh, I forget, but it's not 12400 and it's no. not 1200 it's like 118 or whatever. What's so. also- Someone else has a Kickstarter coming out, and the scale of the miniatures were one, one forty eight hundred, and it's like I don't understand. Yeah, it's a retro game that they're bringing back out because that's the scale of the. Play- so. Interesting to see how those work. But yeah, it's, you know, we talk about scale and there's all sorts of different scales. And we look at, you know, the, uh, you, uh, you know, some the scales work fine for when you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, uh, age of sale. A lot of age of sales running at 1,200. It's a big period for it. One, you know, you can get them down to 1,600. You can see them up to, uh, uh, Navwar does 1,2400 age of sale. Uh-huh. So you can see it, but but there the the sailing, the range of the cannons, thing like that makes sense and look real on the board. <coughs> when you start to look at one twenty four hundred scale for ships, then you know for like World War Two ships or or modern or dreadnoughts or whatever, then you start to look at it. it it's you start to run into the problem of abstraction because you know one that one inch is, you know one foot is two thousand four hundred inches. Uh, on the table. Um, so then all of a sudden now you're running into a ship that can literally shoot 18 miles, 20 miles. Um, you can't have a board that big. And we can't all play in gymnasiums every time we want. It's, you know, we can't also get over the horizon quite as well as we'd like in a, on a board game or on a tabletop. But we then have to go into abstract uh, abstractions on that. Um, have you seen in your play, what, what are some of the common mechanics in rules that are making that viable, making that a, a playable system then? Well, if, if we leave age of sale really is your, your dealing range. And when we're looking at pre-dreadnoughts, we're now dealing in thousands of yards, but still only a few thousand yards. Right. Um, 
by the time we get into World War One, World War II, I mean, in World War II, we have torpedo systems that can go past the horizon. Oh, yeah. Um, so whether they hit anything or not is not the issue, but they can go that far out. Um, so a lot of things that are being done, there is the scale. Um, they will abstract not so much the scale, but the timeline. So you're steaming along and you're doing 5, 10, 15 minutes a turn until either you have a contact or there's some sort of event that is now going to compress the time down. Right. Um, and at th that point, it then becomes um, a little closer to the action. Um, in general, until you get to the modern era, most actions are still going to be line of sight. Right. Um, right. Even with aircraft to spot for your guns, the guns still, or radar, um, it helps, um, but it's not uh, it's not the electronic eye that that many gamers think it is. Right, right. Um, so that that is one of the challenges from the abstraction with the scales, uh, with the rules. Um, a lot of the systems will also compress the fire rates. So if a gun may have a fire rate of six rounds a minute. Well, we may be looking at turns being, you know, being what is appropriate for that caliber of weapon. Right. So right. if you're if you're doing uh, a game that's looking at doing bad. Um, rate uh, of fire so you can then compress it. Hey, uh, John, I'm going to take a quick pause here and say your bandwidth keeps fading in and out. You, let me. You may want to chop your video. I okay. don't know if that'll help you or not, or what will help you. I will do that. Do and if you want, I can move closer to. It's whatever you work, whatever works for you. We just well, keep. Let, uh, you drop off see. a couple times. All mm -hmm. right. If if I drop off again, then I'll move closer to the router. Okay. All right. Sorry about been, that. That's okay. I've been making logs of time because that. Helps me go back and when I have to, yeah, I, have to I, edit. So I don't want you to edit too much. Ah, I will though. I mean, I, I won't. I know I won't edit too much, but I will have to do a little bit of editing. Okay. No worries at all. Hey, you know, we talk about abstraction. There's a set of rules that I think really masters the abstraction out better than anybody else. And uh, when it comes to naval wargaming, uh, I don't know if you still have your camera, so you can see these. But they they provide such a good abstraction on for naval warfare. Uh, I'm I'm holding up a uh, set of rules by a guy by the name of Larry Bond called Harpoon, and they are my book my book the classic naval war game for modern war. And and for the record, he is holding up Harpoon Two. Yes, yes. This is the GDG uh, GDW version. Right. And I I say that because I'm on 100% agreement. Uh, those are my favorite, air quotes, modern rules. Um, because they, you're right, they, they do the abstraction with the time and skill very, very right. neatly. Right. Yeah, that, that just that just gives yourself a game that, that works really well. Um, 
You know, one of the things we talked about were different time periods. You know, we kind of jumped right into this without going over some of the time periods and mm-hmm. table warfare. And you talked about dreadnoughts and such. But um, when we had talked, uh, when we were kind of communicating before the podcast, you sent over a list of what you had um, periods of naval warfare. But you left one off the list that I was really disappointed you left off the list. And that is Age of Sail. No, you had oh. Age of Sail on there. You had pre-1861 Age of Sail. Galleys. Everybody loves ramming. Well, like like I said, Age of Sail says pre-1861. So if you want to go back to Tri-Marines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. I mean, uh, Age of Sail, whether we're talking Trafalgar, right. the Nile, uh, we're going to do the Hellespont. Um, if we're doing Greeks, Romans, Carthaginians, um, Spanish, English, all all beautiful and perfectly done. It's not an area that I have a great deal of expertise in. Um, uh, I'm I'm more of a uh, of an iron ship kind of person. <laughs> um, I just but, know I grew uh, my one of the first naval games I ever did was uh, uh, Greeks versus uh, Peloponnesians. Uh, would that be uh, the trimarine? Yeah, trimarines, hectomarines, and you know the, the various uh, bimarines, you know the various galleys, and it was so fun ramming. That's all you do is you just go and ram. I mean, yeah, they had archers, they had uh, ballistae and things like that on these things, but there's something to be said about ramming another ship. Just can't be beat, especially if you're trying to do it on purpose. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few. We did. Um, uh, I did a game uh, uh, at the CSS News Museum, or I, I ran a few games there uh, in North Carolina, where uh, CSS News was an ironclad that was brought mm-hmm. up, you know, resurrected, or, you know, they pulled it up out of the mud, out of the river in Kinston, North Carolina. And I put on show, uh, put on games there using, uh, um, oh, shoot. Uh, um, oh, my gosh, what was the name of the rules I used? Steam. Um, I, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of the rules now. But they were steam um, for steam ironclads. Mm-hmm. Uh, great set of rules. Could Anybody could play them. And it seemed like no matter what anybody had, everybody wanted to ram. And yes. they would ram each other by mistake. At least they said it was by mistake. Uh, but they would still ram. So that yeah, was a the, fun one. Well, it, it's... Especially, well, the galleys, the cogs, uh, galleons, I mean, they're big, they're majestic, they're, from a model standpoint, they're beautiful, Um, and those of us that are little, little boys that still remember all of those great 60s and 70s um, gladiator type movies, uh, or Ben-Hur with, you know, the naval battle in it. Right. which is how a lot of us got started. Yeah. Colin, have you ever seen Ben-Hur? I don't think so. Okay. You need to watch that one one time. It's... it's The original. Yeah, the original Ben-Hur. And it's more for, you know, the fight scenes. Uh, they're, they're really good on, on some of those. But, uh, yeah, it's a good one. Um, going back into there, but we, you know, realistically, we have, you know, Age of Sail... 
you, know, you have your medieval and Renaissance navies, mm-hmm. which were kind of a um, not as glamorous as when you started to get into the the set, you know, the the late 1600s and then 1700s, the the you know that that age group or that age period when sailing became more of a um, an art form, uh, more of I should say, be, the more engineering went into the ships, they became more stable, the more faster they became, better gun platforms, uh, and so you started to see that and that age of sail period up until. You know, up until the Monitor and Merrimack, you know, they started putting them out of business, um, really gave itself to a type of majestic glory of of the open wind, you know, the open seas and the wind blowing and, and all that. And, you know, you think of the the, the scenes of Master and Commander, Master and Commander. <laughs> as they're cutting down the chase. And, you know, that's what we all envision a lot of this to be. Yes. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just uh, I don't want to get too close to the Civil War because I yes, uh, the Age of Sail is is beautiful, especially when it's done well. There was an HMGS convention where we played a set of rules called Cog uh, Cogs War, ah. and everyone had a cog, which is a sailing vessel with two fortified platforms, one forward and one aft. So you're literally sailing around in a castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and each cog was on a pedestal, so it wasn't on a table. You just kept moving your pedestal to get close to the other, um, other ships for doing battle. Uh, it was very interesting because all the, the ships were now at like chess level for us that were playing, um, you know, but you're right. They, they are very majestic. We all we all want, you know, to have the feeling of, you know, I'm John Paul Jones on the Bonham Richard taking on the Serapis or I'm on the constitution taking on whatever ship the constitution's about to, you know, sink. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. I also grew up on wooden ships and iron men. A um, good, good set of rules. Good game, board game yes. and miniature rules. Um, you know, and there were so many and and it's still a great resource because if you have the miniatures and you're looking for the scenarios rules like wooden ships and iron men is just a huge scenario uh generator right, right. so yeah it's a good set yeah it's it's funny how a lot of these classic rules the age of sale um at least in my estimation you know we have with land battles where the rules and the games are becoming more, um, I don't want to say advanced, but they're, they're morphing into something different. You can tell an old set of, uh, of land rules does not give the same quality game or the same, same game, uh, so to speak, as some of the new rules. So like, you know, you compare, you try and do a platoon or a company size action with tactics, and then turn around and do the same thing with I ain't been shot mom. Mm-hmm. The emphasis becomes less on the technology and the equipment everybody's carrying, and more on the morale, the, the 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 human factors within there. But yet, when you go into naval warfare, most naval games, it is still about the technology. 
Some of the training comes in and some of the morale comes in, but the technology still drives a majority part, a, a big part of the game. So those old rules like wooden ships and Iron Man and, and um, uh, there's one even before that, uh, they still apply and they still give a high quality game, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So hence why Warlord Games is able to resurrect Ma- uh, Mongoose Publishing Games, which came out 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, and you know, dust it off, polish it up, and now, wow, it looks great because it's it's new and shiny, but yet it's just a, it's an old set of rules they brought up. And they've done a, and a great job for doing so. I'm really happy they have. Yes. But, and that. Um, one thing you listed on, on when we were talking about periods, uh, you mentioned submarines. Yes. Now, as a submariner, I understand why you have a sweet spot for them. <clears throat> but submarine warfare is very difficult to portray on the table. What rules have you found or what methods have you found to be able to play a game, uh, play, put a submarine on a table in a, in a, that represents the actions well? You either need an umpire mm-hmm. or an extremely honest submarine player. You don't want a rules lawyer that's going to be trying to find, you know, you, you, want, you, you want to make this more friendly Right. to a convoy or the surface ships. Um, the submarine games are nice. Uh, as far as the rules are concerned, um, Harpoon has really good submarine rules. Right. Uh, there are other naval... Su- and the, the thing when you're looking at the rules is what do you want the game uh, to portray, if you're trying to do aircraft and submarines and nav- and and warships, it's not going to it's going to be very difficult to do that all in the same set of rules uh, without getting bogged down in the rules. Um, so uh, submarine by Avalon Hill, it's a board game, yeah, uh, but. Its rules are, you know, move over to miniatures uh, very nicely. Hmm. Um, Harpoon for modern. Um, right. I, I liked uh, Command at Sea for their submarine rules. Uh, that was the old Clash of Arms uh, rule set. Yeah, I've got a copy somewhere here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the reason I broke the submarines out from the rest of the rule systems is once again they they can be very um they can throw a game very quickly right um uh, there's there's a set of rules out there uh, uh, campaign whoops no go ahead i'm sorry i'm sorry i didn't mean to talk over you um, there's a set of submarine rules out there called Snapshot. Yes. Have you ever played those? Yes, I have. What'd you think so, as a submariner? No, they're fun. They're pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember that when we played those at Wings, Wheels, Waves in Massillon, Ohio, Colin? Uh, that's when we built the ships up on stands and the submarines are down below. Uh, I don't think I was there for that one. 
think that's no. over the weekend. We already in boot camp for that. Okay. Uh, yeah, we did uh, where we built the ships and put them on stands like 15 or 18 inches high and then put like a, a clear plexiglass around the waterline of the ship and kind of did that. So you had the ship above and then you had the hull and, you know, the, the subsurface part below there. And then the submarines were on different, were on elevating stands, kind of like aircraft stands. Okay. That would go up and down to show their depth and such. Uh, and we played that and that, that actually worked out pretty well. That was a, a fun game. Um, so, but I haven't talked to many people who found snapshot in that. So I was just curious as a submariner, what your thoughts were. Um, I can honestly say I've got more submarine rules than I know what to do with. <laughs> um, and, and I'll be perfectly honest. Many of them are really bad um, because it, it depends on what you're, once again, what are you trying to show? Right. Um, you know, there was, there is a game system that tried to handle the time distance abstraction with submarines. And it was very difficult because you'd be setting up on a target, you'd be setting up a target, and then you've crossed this threshold. And now I'm well within contact range of a destroyer when I really wanted to stay way outside of contact range right. and then to set up uh, for the uh, the target. Um, I know I've played Snapshot. Is Was that – do you remember who did that? I honestly don't. It was a okay. PDF copy I downloaded through – I think I got it through uh, – uh, what was it? Drive through RPG. Okay. I think that was the site you could order it and download it from. I've spent way too much money on their site, but I will continue. Yeah, no, that's a good site. It's, there's a lot of good information there, a lot of good stuff. And, and they've got so many really great um, old rule systems that are being resurrected as PDFs. Right, right. Definitely. Yeah, all good. So, um, but no, I, I do uh, – one of my sweet spots is the Falklands. And uh, for 1982, right. um, and I was having a discussion with someone over at the U.S. Naval Institute. We were they're they're having this discussion on um, where submarines have had the biggest impact in the campaign, and I went, "Well, you have to say the Falklands." And they went, "Okay, why?" And I says, "Well." The Conqueror goes and sinks the Belgrano, and the entire Argentinian Navy runs for port. So you've now neutralized an entire Navy with one submarine firing World War II torpedoes um, at a World War II cruiser. I says, but the flip side of it is, is the Argentinians have uh, a German U-boat that's operating and trying to shoot at the British, we know they've shot um, SST torpedoes at the British. The British are using dozens, if not hundreds of depth charges trying to sink this submarine and never got it anywhere close to it. So in both cases, incredibly effective, even though in one case they couldn't sink anything and the other case they did. Right. 
So, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point there, too. I, I remember the controversy when that happened. Uh, I remember it very well because of a grandma was, according to some folks, outside of the fire zone. Uh, according to others, she was definitely going to go into the fire zone. So, yeah, it's kind of a interesting one when you start to apply rules of warfare to something that's designed for ambush. Uh, yes. So... Yeah, that's a tough one. So, and you got you got to love it because if you're running a submarine game, whether you're doing an attack on the Belgrano and her two escorts, or you're going after a World War II convoy, like in the movie uh, Greyhound, right? Um, you only need a few ships, right? Right? You, yeah. you honestly, you honestly don't even need the submarine. <laughs> We've, uh, yeah, we've had a few of those, um, but you know, you, you just thought us brought something up there too. Um, uh, cause my recollection of the Falklands were a lot of Skyhawks pestering the British Navy. Um, you know, the Royal Navy was not a fan of Skyhawks by the time that was done. The Mirages were one thing, but the Skyhawks were really a, a major, major pay, um, coming through. Uh, so then now all of a sudden you add the dimension of air. So you've yes. got above the ocean, below the ocean, and on the ocean into that. Um, have you, I mean, I, I've, I've never found a set of rules. I should say never found. I have not played a set of rules that, that to me accurate or, or captured the flavor of air attacks onto ships. I used to play general quarters a lot. Okay, so they have a decent system. They're 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 not a good set of rules. Yep. Command at sea, I played. Sea Creek, I played, but Sea Creek doesn't have aircraft in there to speak of. Um, can't remember the other ones I played, but anyway, um, what's the best set of rules in your opinion out there for or your your go to set of rules if you wanted to say do something like. Midway or the Battle off Savo Island or um, Samar Island or something like that, where aircraft really did play an important part. Yeah, I. If we're dealing with World War II, those are just kind of mine. It could be modern too. Well, if it's mo if it's modern, good, if it's modern, I'm going to go with shipwreck. Oh, okay. Um, I really like their air and naval rules. Yeah. Um, I'm not as enamored with their submarine rules. Um, Harpoon works well from the ship in the submarine side or helicopters. Um, but the speed of the aircraft makes it very difficult um, with the time compression at right. times. Um, so... I've never been in a situation where a submarine's attacking the surface group uh, as the aircraft are coming in. So that's not been a problem. I've been able to do that from a modern. Um, Command at Sea is probably the best for doing um, aircraft and ships for World War II. Um, very often what we will do is we will play Avalanche Press is naval system. Not for Rob. 
Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Avalanche Press does. They do uh, the Great War at Sea, and uh, sorry for the stuttering. No worries. Because I'm going to grab this and go on camera here for one quick second. Um, there you go. Strike South. Yeah, so this is their naval system for the melee, uh, for the, um, okay. this will be like for the Prince of Wales, the Repulse, uh, they do one for Coral Sea, they do one for Midway. Um, so it's roughly half a squadron for a counter. Okay. So we'll end up using that. If it comes to aircraft, then we'll move to uh, check your six or something similar for the aircraft side of it. Um, and if it's a ship-to-ship -ship engagement, we'll go to uh, general quarters. Okay. Yeah, I, I do like general quarters. I think they're a good set of rules myself. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, right there. I was just saying if I had check your six, and I go, yeah, yeah that one too. Um, I... And, I have a lot more rules that are sitting behind me. It's just I haven't unloaded all the boxes. Um, one of the battles that I've, and I, anybody who's listened to the podcast has probably heard me mention it, or if you've listened to more than one episode, you've probably heard me mention the battle off Samar Island. Yes. That, to me, is the ultimate battle to war game. Well, apart from Leipzig, which we're going to be doing. We're making the, we're almost there. Uh, but I mean, I've never been, I, I think it's a phenomenal event that is just captures everything about, um, everything about naval warfare into one, you know, you know the, the thing, I shouldn't say everything about naval, it captures the, 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 the sheer gut wrenching experiences of naval warfare in one action. Where you had, you know, the, you know, tin cans going after the Japanese fleet and hoping that the CV, you know, trying to cover the CVEs and so they can get out mm -hmm. and making sure the Japanese fleet doesn't hit into the main troop transports, uh, the landing invasion fleet. And knowing full well they're not going to survive and they still go charging into it. Aircraft that are running out of ammunition, that are out of ammunition, that keep flying at the Japanese vessels because they don't know they're out of ammo and getting them to react and getting all of that whole piece of the whole final point where the Japanese commander said, who's already lost, had already had it been torpedoed out of his command vessel prior to this battle and had to switch flags, you know, suddenly realizing, thinking, I can't, we can't win this and turn around and leave. Yet all they had to do was keep going and they would have just rolled right over what were the few destroyers and destroyer escorts that were there. Well, they, that to me is, is hard to capture on a table, and I really want to do so. There, there's, there's one other point that, that you missed is that the Japanese commander thinks that they're not destroyers yeah. and destroyer escorts. He thinks there's, they're cruisers, well, they're the battleships. Way, because of the way they're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, that's, that's the part that is like, it's sort of like an Antietam game for the Civil War. You can't play – you can't force the other player to play as 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 foolish as McClellan played. You know, this Japanese – the Admiral 
I mean, he he was good at his job, uh, but he went into this battle and, and he's expecting to find cruisers and battleships and that's what he thinks he's fighting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do wonder how much he was shaken by the fact that he had been torpedoed before the battle and had to switch transfer his flag. That's got to unnerve anybody. I, I, would, assu- I, I would assume so. <laughs> yeah. So that's got to play into the, a big part of it. Uh, but yeah, to me, that's amazing. But, um, you know, you talk about the commanders expecting one thing and not preparing. I'm going to, I, I think I told you about an email, but there was a game I ran. I've run it three times now, four times um, in the uh, in the year, year and a half before uh, we moved out or to here, moved out to uh, Oklahoma, back when I was in North Carolina, where we set up the table with 13 ships set up, uh, cargo vessels set up on the table. The Allied commander was given three or four escorts, you know, uh, destroyer escorts, you know, frigates to escort the convoy. And the Axis player sat down at the other end of the table and on the edge of the table, not on the table itself, you know, we'd always put a couple submarine models. <laughs> and we tell the, the Allied commander, you need to escort this convoy across the ship. You know, this, you need to escort these 12, 12 freighters across the ship, across the board, and get them off safely. All right. Now, if you remember to what I said at the beginning, there were 13 freighters put out. The first turn, everybody, you know, the, the Allied commander deploys their escorts how they want. Then they move them, then they do their move. And then they move, you know, the Allied commander that has to move all the freighters. All right. So they have plenty of opportunity to see that they're moving 13 ships, not 12, or not the 12, they're told. Mm-hmm. Turn two or turn three, depending on dice roll, the 13th ship reveals itself as a German merchant raider. That becomes a fun game because yes. everybody, nobody's expecting that. And suddenly the German player, all the German player has to do is get, you know, sink a couple freighters and get off the board safely. All right. The destroyer escorts need to not lose any freighters and take out the escort and take out the raider. Now, it's usually that game is usually a draw. Very rarely does it. uh, uh, You know, I shouldn't say very rarely. It's usually a draw, but the Germans have to have the upper hand because if they do it right, they just keep the freighters between them and the escorts. Um, but it bring, that brings into the table the unknown, where people are expecting one thing and get something different, which I love to capture that. And that's I find it hard to do in naval warfare, uh, just because the models, when you look at the models, you see what they are. So um, you, you can do this with naval. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use a Battle of the Bulge analogy. Right. Every tank was a Tiger tank. We did this in Micro Armor, and all the German um, stands were King Tigers. <laughs> and all of the Americans, well, no, actually, all of the Germans uh, were M48s. 
and all the Americans were chafies. Okay. How'd that play out? And what, well, each individual player knew what their stats were and all the fire combat was done through the, uh, through the umpire. Right. So you'd be shooting at, you know, what, what you, you are the, you know, the tigers of the, of the battlefield. And sometimes they were Panzer fours and sometimes they were tigers, but very rarely they were tigers. So, you know, you don't, you, you can do this from a naval standpoint using blinds, using uh, like a like a generic ship counter right. or ship uh, to do this. Um, a lot of a naval system that I use. Um, oh, God. Now I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name. Um, I think it's Coastal Command. Um, that sounds familiar. And it... You start out with a group blind, and as the radar kicks in, um, yeah, Coastal Command. Um, as the radar or visual sighting, now you then go from a group blind to individual ships, but you just have a rough idea where the ship is. You don't necessarily know that, you know, it is, you know, an O-class destroyer or an MTB or, or what have you. Um, that's one way of doing it, and that's another way you could do um, the action that you were talking about off of Samar, um, you know, you could, you know, working with blinds because the other thing with that battle is you also have weather. So you have vessels going in and out of squalls. Right. And, you know, it becomes a case of, you know, I see it, I see it, I don't see it. You now you have to, you know, as the gunnery officers now have to reacquire uh, right. their targets. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Colin, you've been pretty quiet on this. Yeah, I, I have come up with another idea for uh, quote unquote blinding your ships. Um, okay. You could set up a naval convoy. Uh, Tell them, hey, you guys are going to Murmansk. You're resupplying the Russians, uh, but you have to do it along the coast of Norway. And by the way, the Turkets has just been uh, released from its harbor or from port. Uh, so watch out for that. The German player puts the Turkets on the board's edge, not on the board, but inside his case, he actually has all the, uh, the airplanes and the destroyers that he's going to use to engage. But now you're having these allied commanders worry about that turbulence as opposed to the aircraft and the uh, destroyers that they're actually going to have to engage, which really did happen in life. Or you should just put out a major threat, like what you guys have both been saying, but another way of doing it. So where you have, again, we you play into what they think they're going to run up against versus what they are. You know, I think about this as the one of the final scenes in Master and Commander, they disguise their ship as a whaler. And they purposely, you know, change sails in a loverly manner, as opposed to a, you know, a, a taught uh, man of war manner, um, in order to lure the, the French ship into a uh, close action where they then have a chance. Um, 
So, you know, you, there's all sorts of little ruses we could probably do on the tables to capture those, putting wrong ships out, putting wrong markers out and that. But uh, again, to me, that goes to one of the things I love in wargaming to do in wargaming is I do not like straight up even point battles. I, I shouldn't say I don't like, I like any game. I said, I prefer though games where they're, <laughs> where they're matching, you know, something historical where it's never even. There's always, you know, there is, I should say, it's, it's seldom even, and there's always some sort of adversity to overcome in order to win. And if you can, and then it's not a case of winning or losing, it's a case of if you can do better than they did historically, you could still lose, but if you did better than historically, then there's something to be, you know, they can take that as a victory. It, it's, it's very rare in naval combat that you're going to go into battle period um if you're if you're sorting the fleet it's because you know you're going to win right when you look at the naval battles in the north sea in world war one very often the british or the germans i know i can win i know i can win i went you know what maybe i don't have as every, maybe they have more ships or maybe right and one or the other turns around um in world war ii even in the pacific um when the u.s outside of midway and maybe the battle of the java sea the u.s navy is never going into a situation where they don't have the upper hand or right. think they have the upper hand right um you know midway they had no choice. Coral Sea, it was a fair, it, it was a fair, fair engagement. But right. once again, there, um, going back to the abstractions and um, throwing a wild card into it, um, you know that's an aircraft carrier until you fly over it and realize I'm trying to sink a tanker. It's not an aircraft carrier. Um, you know, 1942. No one was very good at at uh, no <laughs> at identifying um, targets. No. Um, so you're right. I mean, I'm also not a big fan of let's bring a thousand points and 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 fight it out. Um, I actually like the challenge of a forlorn hope, or um, you know, I'm trying to get this convoy, th this three ship convoy through and this is very true of most of the uh submarine games if you're playing the japanese as the surface ships i've got a three ship convoy i have one escort it's not enough to protect a three ship convoy and now this american submarine is coming at me um it's a it's a good challenge um right. you know that's why block i think you know that type of thing and blockade runners and stuff like that all make great scenarios mm -hmm. whether you're doing you know, a blockade runner uh, off of France um, with the British blockade during the Polonic era or uh, Confederate blockade runners in the uh, Civil War. Um, you know, that's, they, they all make a very good game because they are stacked against the person. They have to use, you know, the, they have to use either subterfuge or the technical capabilities of their vessel to outperform. They have to outthink their opponent in many many of those cases and i like that aspect of it so 
it'll it also gets back to our initial conversation about cruel seas. I mean, here we've got a rule system where you're dealing with a couple of You broke up there again. A really straightforward. Um, I'm sorry. You broke up there again. So you said that's like cruel seas. They they uh, you're dealing with a couple boats, straightforward. And and what were you saying then after that? Uh, I'll tell you that if if and I hope we we can do this again. Uh, I definitely will move closer to the router. Um, no worries. We and John, uh, we have no problem with having you back as a guest again. That's oh, okay. Okay, I'm just <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. From the technology, I, just from the, the tech uh, side. Um, no, with Cruel Seas, getting back to the initial part where we start talking about this, is we're dealing with, you know, a few either motor torpedo boats or motor gunboats on each side. You're trying to protect a convoy coming through. Um, so, I, I mean, there's just so many, you know, p- possible um, scenario ideas. Um, I mean, if you have three or four patrol boats, I don't care the Navy, uh, you know, and then you have someone from the opposite side, you can create all sorts of scenarios. Um, and it can be something uh, as simple as there's two motor gunboats and you're being intercepted by a German e-boat and the two, one of the motor gunboats has just broken down. And you have to go through like repair rules or whatever it has to be. But the other one now has to protect you from this e-boat. Well, we're talking about three ships that most naval gamers would probably have in their collection. Right. Um, so there's a lot of you know flexibility from that. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, the cruel season, the e-boats and that. Uh, we did a scenario with that. We got a hold of a, I want to say one three fiftieth scale LST. Uh, come and I don't know if you saw how many AA guns those things have on them. Literally, tons of AA guns. Now they can't depress as far as you'd want them to mm-hmm. uh, for an E boat. So if the E boats get within a certain range, the LST is toast. But if the LST can keep them off a ways, it does pretty well. Um, but that that's one where you can you can put it. What type of water you put it in makes all the difference in the world. Because if the LST has room to maneuver and to you know and can kind of keep them at bay, keep them off a ways, uh, it's going to win every time. But if the e boats can get in quickly and and you know get past. The uh, LST, it's not going to survive. So, you know, that's a, uh, another way that, you know, another just little thing that you can do with the scenario is how you set it up, whether it's going to be a, a harbor attack, a open ocean attack, or coastal, or however. So. Well, let, let's let's continue with that because that's a, that's a great scenario uh, idea. But let's have you have the LST, and Colin and I each have an e-boat. Now we have the issue of not only are each of us trying to sink you, but we now need to coordinate our attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one thing I do know about gamers 
is we are not real good at coordinating our attacks. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you can limit the communications to, yes. you know, where it has to be a limited communication. That really becomes fun. Uh, I did a limited communication battle of Lisa, uh, Lisa, oh. uh, which is the whether appropriate or not you, you're um, breaking up again john i'm sorry okay you said did the battle of lisa and then you went silent uh battle of lisa where there was where historically where there was the ramming uh became all the rage after this battle because that's where you know, the Austrians and the Italians were attempting to ram each other when they were finding that the guns weren't working as well as they as they would have thought. Um, but we were playing this, but we had limited communications. And by the third turn, we had actually, as the Italians, um, had taken out most of our fleet by ramming ourselves <laughs> because of just the poor communications. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. <laughs> That's right. Um, and looking at, I want to, you know, keep aware, you know, kind of one of the things that we haven't talked about is, you know, we all, all of us here like naval wargaming and different facets of it. But for somebody getting into war, naval wargaming, what are, what are some of the pros and cons that you found over the years to get in naval, for naval wargaming? Um. Choose a period of history that interests you. If you're not sure, choose the movie that interests you. It may be Master and Commander. It may be PT-109. Heck, it may be McHale's Navy. Um, th but there's going to be something that's going to grab you. If you're interested in attack boats like we've been talking about here and there, um, you don't need much. You need a couple boats on the side. You need a blue cloth and the rules. That's it. The cost to enter naval wargaming is very, very low. Right. Um, whether if you're looking at World War II or Napoleonics, I mean, that that can be a little daunting for someone starting out. Uh, but you buy the model, you paint it gray, you hit it with a black wash, you're done. Right. Um, you know, but it's going to be fine. Find out what interests you. And it's just amazing when you start looking into family histories, you may actually have someone or a connection to something, you know, from a nautical perspective uh, that you can connect to wargaming. Um, you know, it's just find the period, uh, jump in. If you're interested in World War II, naval wargaming, you buy the Bismarck. You buy the Prince Eugen, you buy the Hood, you buy the Prince of Wales. You need four models. You can go at a lower cost and go with Panzer Chiefs. You can go with the beautiful models of GHQ. You don't need many models to start with. Right. And once again, a set of rules. Um, you know, we've kind of you know hit on a lot of them. There's even more out there. Um, so it's you know you're doing the Battle of the Denmark Strait. Yep. My, uh, 
Yeah, I, I agree completely on all those pros. Um, it is simple. They're easy to paint. Uh, there are a variety of ships out there. You can find almost every ship you want. Um, and if you can't, there are some of these 3D services, Shapeways, it's amazing what they're coming out with now. Uh, so they're all there. Uh, the only con I see with Naval Wargaming is you don't have as many people doing it as you do World War II land battles. So you do have to do a little bit of a sell job many times. Um, and choosing the right rules are going to be critical to getting new people into the game. Um, if you look back on some of the Age of Sail games, uh, one, of their, one of the biggest problems Age of Sail games has is capturing the intricacies of sailing at the same time of doing can, you know, cannon fire and boarding actions and such. So there's a lot of abstraction around that. I think that's one thing where, where Black Seas really comes to the forefront is the, uh, you know, is how they abstract the sailing aspect of it. There's not much administration. Mm -hmm. In most war, in most naval war games, you will have some administration to do. So that's just a fact of it. Um, there's some that are heavy in administration, which is a negative to many players. It doesn't bother me, uh, but it's a negative. But there are some that have very limited uh, administration, you know, counting how much damage points, like Cruel Seas, for example. Um, uh, I can't remember the steam, the steam one we do um, for this. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes when I, I'll look that up. I can't remember the name of it now, um, but it's a fantastic uh, uh, dread or uh, iron. Ironclad in Civil War era battle. Is it the uh, uh, sail and steam navies? Is that it? That might be I, it. I think so. Um, I don't I, know. I believe I've that's got... one that we play with our uh, ironclads. Yeah. Okay. That's then. That's it then. That's it. So yeah, I just gotta listen to Colin. You know what you're talking about. I don't get you in trouble. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's greatly appreciated. Um, <laughs> And I'm scrambling through here to see if I can find some of the other. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But oh well, Stay, uh, st uh, steam and sail navies or sail okay. and steam navies. Um, but we'll put those in there. I'm sorry, we'll put those in the show notes and that. But those are some good pieces there. Um, inspiration. You know, you had touched on that. Uh, there's a lot of inspiration pieces out there. I know my. Um, Big thing that got me into Age of Sail that inspired me was reading the Aubrey Martin series. Um, because, you know, for C.S. Forster's um, uh, Aubrey Martin series were mm -hmm. amazing. They're hard, they're not easy reads because of his very precise use of language. And, and uh, you know, it's not like Hornblower where it's a little bit more simplified uh, language, but, you know, so Forrester goes straight back to you trying to use the language and the nautical terminology of the period, which can be a little bit daunting uh, when you're a young reader. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but I, that was my inspiration for those. And then I, then I watched um, In Harm's Way, or They Were Expendable, were other ones that really got me uh, got me going into naval war gaming. Um, and it wasn't until, quite frankly, 
where were we? we were living in England when I found the book Last Stand of the Tin Can Sailors. Ooh, good book. Oh, I, I want, I think everybody should read that. Even if you're not interested in naval wargaming, the human study that that is of how people react in an adverse, an adverse situation is to me amazing. It, it, you just can't believe the courage that those people display. You know, it just, I, I just don't even know how to describe it. So, but those are my inspirations. Um, John, what about you? What are some inspirations that you've had? And I hope I haven't stole all the good ones. Um, I'm going to offer two two areas for the for the inspiration. One is um, most areas have a maritime museum of one form or another. If you're on one of the coasts, you definitely have it. Uh, but there's you know, up and down the Mississippi and on the Great Lakes, there's there's many maritime museums as well. And you can go and find, ah, there we go. Um, you can find um, inspiration by taking a trip, a uh, field trip or the like. Um, here in the Philadelphia area, on one side of the river, we have the battleship New Jersey. On the other, we've got the USS Olympia from the Spanish-American War right. and the Bakuna um, from both World War II and the Cold War. But you go up and down the coast of the East Coast, West Coast, um, you know, if you take a, a trip out to uh, Hawaii, if you're on the West Coast and it's a little bit, you know, more doable, um, you know, you definitely have, you know, you've got the, the battleship Arizona and Utah that are still there. Um, you've got the, um, I think it's the Missouri that's there at Pearl. Um, and you you walk the decks of these ships. I've walked the deck of the, the Wisconsin when she was in the Philadelphia Navy Yard. Um, I mean, I was an active duty sailor and I was just in awe. You know, I look at these these guns and kind of go, oh my. <laughs> it's like, you know, um, and, and from a gaming perspective, you know, it's like, hmm, I wonder what we can do with this. Um you know, you've got the movies, you've got television shows, you've got the books. Um, for you, it was Master and Commander. If for me, it was the Alexander Kent novels, uh, the Belithel novels. Right. Um, same difference. I mean, right. they're they're both really good. Yeah. They um, are. Alexander Kent did like to go into a tremendous amount of detail mm -hmm. what a splinter will do when it goes through your body. Yes. Um. Not for the squeamish, um, but yeah, there's there's plenty out there, um, and more importantly, you're able to do something, uh, you know, to take something out of history and either recreate it or, if you have a a certain bent, um, you know, you you're on the the Prince of Wales and the repulse off of the uh, the coast of Malaysia and. Uh, you actually, you know, beat off the aircraft attack and now go after the Japanese convoys. So, um, yeah, you can definitely, you know, there is plenty of inspiration there. Yeah, that's something we didn't talk about at all on this is naval wargaming lends itself very well to campaign games. Yes. Because you have 
of very tangible supplies that you can be easily tracked. You know, you use up so much fuel, steaming so much, you know, and you can track that. Uh, and then you can have very tangible targets to go after. So it's uh, it lends itself probably very well to a campaign game. And I, I'm, I like campaign games. Colin, you know, uh, likes campaign games. We, we kind of go in that direction um, because it just makes you think more about your resources. Uh, you don't throw everything away on one battle. Um, there's a, a scenario. Southern Cone. It's uh, it's an Avalanche Press product, okay. but um, it's you are you know you've got the Graf Spey, so you've got the entire South Atlantic, you've got one one heavy cruiser and one transport, and the entire Allied Navy is looking for you. So from a campaign's perspective, you're trying to sink merchant ships. You're trying to survive. Every once in a while, you need to resupply from the tanker. Right. Um, and the battles kind of become secondary. You know, as the player in taking part in the command, you're trying to find merchant ships but not be found. The allies, the French, the British um, – are looking for you, um, and sometimes the only way they know where you're at is because we just lost a merchant ship over there. The grass bay has to be over there somewhere, kind of routine. Right. Um, and some of these campaigns, you can get into some really esoteric warships. <laughs> so, like the fight, like the hunt for the grass bay. Uh, the French carrier Burn was involved, right. which was this behemoth that really how the aircraft got off of her is beyond me because she wasn't very fast so if the air wasn't coming across the deck the right way she couldn't launch aircraft um but she was there and if you're a gamer you like these you know just the same way that some people want to have um a bizarre assault gun from world war ii and they're they're miniatures um if you're a world war ii naval gamer and you have the if you have the british well then of course i need the burn <laughs> <laughs> speaking uh colin i'm gonna switch subject slightly what was the name of the german tank with two turrets that fought was only found in norway oh, oh yeah three and it's in Nova Fazu, okay yeah all right yeah because that again we have, uh, we have one <laughs> Yeah. And looking for one in 15 mil. <laughs> uh, 3D printing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, we have a 3D printer that we, uh, we use. Ah. So it hasn't been broken out in a while, but, yeah, it's nice. Well, I'm, I'm looking at this. I think we've kind of covered a bit. I think the last thing we want to touch on are resources that are available for the war gamers. Uh, I know that you put together a really nice list that I'm going to uh, publish in the show notes, John. Uh, you talked about rules and miniatures. Um, oh, you know what? On your Civil War, you didn't put Bay Area Yards. Got to add Bay Area Yards. Very okay. good ships. 
thoroughbred are very good too. I've got uh, most of my ships for for them are are by uh, thoroughbred or, or very yards. Okay, one six hundred scale, great ships. Uh, oh, smoke on the water. That's a great set of rules. I love those. Yeah, those are. That's really my good. go-to. Okay, great set of rules. Uh, but anyway, you know you, the ironclads, age of iron, hammering and iron, hammering iron. It's a big set. Uh, Steam. You've got uh, Sea Creek, Rise of the Battleships, Tsushima, Fire When Ready, Perfidious Albion. I forgot about those. Those are good ones. Um, then we look at Fire When Ready uh, for ships well, again. Th- sorry, go fire, ahead. Well, Fire When Ready is on there twice. No, I just read it. Uh, yeah, you have it. You have it twice. You have it there, and then then B number B, letter B. The sec- yeah, the second one, the B means it's a bo- it's a board game that ah. you can actually use the rules for miniatures. Good. Okay. Good to know. Put that out there. Um, you know, you mentioned tumbling dice and three D printing for your scheme, but uh, Panzer Ship are a very good set, uh, a very uh, excellent set of resin. Uh, cast ships. Mm-hmm. Um, I I got to be very careful on how I say it because I don't want to start rumors of that. But I've heard that they're these scaling back his production. Um, I don't know how you know how accurate that is or not. Um, he's out I, of I, Ohio. I've heard right. the same thing. Uh, I wish him the best. I've actually met him on a couple of occasions. Met the gentleman who runs it. I actually drove to his house and picked up some ships from him when I was oh. in Ohio. Um, true gentleman, real nice. If I, I hope nothing happens to them, but they're outstanding company. Yeah, I I can honestly say I have placed orders with them recently, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm very grateful because my entire the majority of my American and Spanish Spanish American War fleets. Um, came from Panzer Chief. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, he's been in business. I was buying from him in the, in the early eighties. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think I've got some from the uh, mid to late eighties from him. So excellent uh, set of ships. Um, I like the rule. You talk about iron, the iron, uh, fear, fear God and dread not. Uh, great set of dreadnought rules. Then um, you have Sea Craig, you mentioned in there, and then uh, gen- uh, the early general quarters. Pondership uh, GHQ starts in that period. Then GHQ, uh, if you ever get a chance, folks, I really recommend GHQ for not only the Age of Sail, but also 12400 scale modern. And World War II ships, they're great. I also use them for one three uh, one two hundred eighty fifth scale or six millimeter. Uh, but their ships are detailed in the World War II range. They're, they're second to none, in my opinion. The GHQ uh, Age of Sail ships are phenomenal. Uh, one twelve hundred scale, excellent ships. I think the only buddy, only company out there that outdoes them is Langton. And Langton miniatures are fantastic Age of Sail ships. Yes. Um, some beautiful ones. Now, granted, Warlord Games, their ships are great. They work well. They're nice. They're, they're a good quality ship. Great starter. Great way to get into the period. So fully uh, recommend that. Um, that go ahead. 
that that's that's a great point because you may start with with panzer sheaves where you're only paying a couple dollars for each you know a few dollars for each ship i mean when you look at ghq prices they are expensive but you're definitely getting uh your money's worth with their ships yeah but you can start with your panzer sheaves and get the the initial ships that you need to get started to find out if you really like these rules so you know you get those couple of battleships on each side and if you want to then expand or most of your stuff is panzer sheaves but you really regular right ghq yeah 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 the uh for my navies my world war ii navies uh all of my freighters and I have lots of freighters and a lot of my, my destroyer escorts and and uh, frigates and you know smaller vessels and submarines are almost entirely panzer sheaf. Now my big capital ships are GHQ. because uh, I like the the heft of them and I like the the uh, detail because at that when they start to get big ships, then you really do need to see the detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my opinion, again. Um, Speaking of big ships, um, if you're trying to go Russia-Japanese war, yeah, Old Glory does one six hundred scale um, ships for that, and they are quite beautiful. I like them a lot. Well, uh, one six hundred. Yeah, yeah, they're big, it, but they're nice. It doesn't seem right for nineteen uh, hundred warfare, but for uh, the Russia-Japanese war, that scale does work a little bit. I mean, yeah, you do have to abstract a little bit, but it, it does work with that scale. And now, it looks very nice. They, they, they do. They're beautiful. Colin's absolutely right. They're beautiful vessels out there. Um, but if you want to talk about big scale, there's a company out there called Laser Dreamworks, which I have a I have one, I have their wasp and the cayenne uh, is the other one. Um these are Aegis sail ships. Now they're big. Okay. They're 28 millimeter ships. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. Laser Dreamworks. Take a look at what they do. I... They are beautiful. Um, and they now those are ones that you do need a gymnasium floor for, but they're fantastic. And then even, you know, and the other thing about Naval, like, um, uh, what's the what's the company, Firelock Games? They have a pirate game out now mm-hmm. where they have pirate ships. Yes. And the, the sailing mechanism for that game is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's another fun game. Again, 28 millimeter, so you're getting a big ship. But And there, there's a number of companies that have now created the STL files for yes. those ships. Because yeah. I know someone who printed out a sloop. <laughs> oh my! Yeah. Yeah. So th- there's there's again for people getting into it. There's a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of things to to cover within naval wargaming. You don't need a lot to get into it, um, and you really can you know uh, for storage space, you, you can fit everything in a box and roll up a blanket. Mm-hmm. Um, and for terrain, you don't need much, uh, if any, depending on what type you're doing. It just gives you a good, uh, it's a good entry point for any wargamer, in my opinion. So, all right, folks. Well, I think we've pretty much covered 
Um, John, anything in closing you want to say about Naval Wargaming? Yeah, uh, just just one quick thing is when you're when you're if you're interested in Naval Wargaming is there's a number of hidden gems that are out there. Oh yeah, uh, we've mentioned um, Drive By RPG and their different services. Um, there, we we talked about two fat lardies. Well, they have a uh, an annual special. Um, and they actually released a set of naval rules for coastal boats back in 2011. Um, other magazines like War Games Illustrated and, um, yep, Kiss Me Hardy. I didn't want to head down that path because that would take us another hour. <laughs> yeah, <I would. laughs> um, but um, WSS. WSS. Rules every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. War games, soldiers, and strategy. Uh, they they did. They've done a couple naval systems where they've you know had either rules or discussed them. Right. Um, so you, if you're interested in land combat games and you're already getting these magazines, you may have uh, some resources there that you weren't aware of, or you may need to go back and look at some of the old magazines again. Right. There's also a um, website, and I haven't looked at it in years. I hope it's still out there. That was a listing of free war game rules you could download. Um, and I forget what it was called. I'll have to look it up. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll research it, find it, and put it in the show notes, folks. Um, but you could download some rules for free, and that's a good way to get started as well, just to see if it has any enticement for you. So. I, I know I know the site you're talking about. There's another one that I want to mention is War Times Journal. They're a 3D printing company that do naval warships, uh, but they have an entire page of free rules. Oh, there you go. So you, you, you see a ship that you like or you see miniatures that you like, what's not to like uh, when you look at these – um and there's appropriate rules so yeah there's plenty of resources out there okay good good colin anything you want to add um for all those who are still in the land battles and haven't ventured into naval war gaming and don't want to get feet just wet or wet just yet um you can always do shore batteries which are a great way to sink ships and not get sunk yourself <laughs> um i just actually watched a really good movie called the king's choice um, it's a shore, oh, in the opening sequence, a uh, shore battery sinks the um, Krigos Marine Blucha. Or Blucha. Oh. So ah. it's, it's a great oh. to watch it. I've heard about that. And what was that called, Tom? In the King's Choice. The in the King's movie Choice. And you can find it on uh, Amazon. But yeah, uh, there's plenty of companies that do uh, coastal gun support for anything from 1700s and star forts to Civil War, even to um, right. World War II, because then you start getting into the Missile Age. Yeah. Um, Clash of Arms for, their, for the Command at Sea did a supplement. I think it was No, no Sailor But a Fool. Right. I and that. it 
was perfect. I mean, you could game out the naval aspects of doing the landings at Tarawa. Um, I wouldn't advise it because I tried it and it was a lot of it was it was interesting, but there was also a certain amount of bookkeeping. Um, but yeah, the, the the landings in Norway are are a great example of taking ships into a location where rightfully you really shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> now, yeah. in, in 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 the movie, Colin, did they also have the band on the on the end of the blue shirt when it went into uh, Oslo? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, because that that was one of the comments uh, I remember uh, reading up on that campaign. And not only did they was the entire headquarters command on the Blucher, but they also brought the military band. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you you actually thought you won the battle before you won the battle. <laughs> you see, the Brits did it there right when they did that um, Operation Archery, and. Of course, Major Jack Churchill stood on the bow of the landing craft playing the bagpipes. Churchill is the one with the, with the, uh, yeah. the claymore, carried yeah, the claymore he, sword. He um, used the claymore sword in the English longbow. Yeah, that was it. He had the longbow, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I heard a story about... And I'm sorry, this is away from, from naval gaming. No, that's okay. This, this is great. Um was they had talked to a German that actually had him in his sights uh, during the landing. And they says, well, why didn't you shoot him? And we went, we looked at him. We figured he had to be mad. Yes. And in hindsight, they're, <laughs> they're pretty close. He was crazy. Yeah. Mad, yeah. Mad Jack Churchill. Mad Jack Churchill. Yeah, he's a. Uh, didn't somebody make a figure of him? Um, I think Warlord Games did it. Um, they bought a company's figure of him. I'm not sure on that. Was it Warlord Games or was it War Games Illustrated's uh, Heroes in Miniature? Oh, I'll have to look that up because yeah. those Heroes in Miniatures are pretty good. I like their series. So. All right, folks. Well, I do appreciate it. Well, I mean, we we could go on. There's a lot more we could cover in Naval Wargaming. I mean, you could make, I, I know um, the Veteran Wargamer podcast did a show on Naval Wargaming where they just talked about pre-Dreadnought and they spent a whole hour, hour and a half talking about pre-Dreadnought. Uh, and it was very interesting. Um, so you could do the whole period. Um, you know, you can you can break up any of these periods into an entire episode. So, I, we, we unfortunately don't have the time to do all that, but I would advise anybody who listens to this, if you're not a naval war killer, give it a try. You can pick up ships cheap, even try it with some counters just to get a, a, a feel for it. You don't need a lot of terrain. Painting is simple. If it's World War II or, or late, you know, other wargaming, rigging can be a bit of a pain on age of sale, but Still, it's not that bad if I can do it. Um, give it a shot. You'll find a whole new dimension of wargaming. And your lead pile won't be as large because you don't need 2,000 miniatures to do a big battle. So, all right. Well, with that, I do want to say, John, it's been great having you on. We've really enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. It's been a good topic. Thank you both. And you'll be welcome back. Uh, Colin, I think the 
we have a couple shows that we're trying to line up here. So unfortunately, we don't have the exact date set out for our next guest, but we have a couple. We have a, another quiz episode coming up, and we do have a couple of the guests lined up. Um, we're just trying to get the dates lined up for those and get those con uh, configured. Um, we will put links in our show notes to the various uh, companies, and we mentioned a lot of companies here today. So I'm going to have to try and do a lot of research on putting show uh, links in there on the show notes so you can look them up uh, and get to them. Uh, I will say we do have a Patreon page if you guys, uh, if anybody wishes to support us on that. Any money that we get from Patreon does go. We do donate to charity once a month or, or once a quarter. Uh, we have that as something we do that we've started. Uh, the quiz shows are determining who's getting the charities, uh, the money raised, uh, on which charities, but that's something we're doing as well. So please visit our Patreon page. There will be uh, links in the show notes to that as well. Colin, do you have anything to say before we wrap up? No, thank you for listening. I hope you have a great evening. Right, thank you. And John, once again, thank you very much. And to all of our listeners out there, no matter which side of the pond you're on, uh, thanks for listening and keep wargaming. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening to Across the Pond Wargamers. And to all of our fellow wargamers out there, no matter which pond you are across, we hope you enjoy your gaming.